This is the Open Circle Fleet, a Star Wars podcast covering all things across the stars. My name is Kelly. Mine's Caleb. Welcome to our weekly book club podcast where we cover current canon Star Wars books. First, let's take a moment to introduce ourselves because it's the first episode. So we'd like to share with you first favorite Star Wars novel so far. What's yours? Mine would definitely have to be Thrawn. I just, the characterization, Eli Vanto, just everything about it. Good novel, good story, good ending. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> if we're talking canon novels, I have to agree that's probably my favorite. But if we're talking about all-time favorite, mine is definitely the Revenge of the Sith novelization by Matthew Stover, even though it's not canon. Everything, okay, so the tragedy that happens in Revenge of the Sith is already sad, and then you just take Matthew Stover's, like, the way he writes it, it's, like, prosy, and it just hurts that much more. It's <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, so if you don't care whether it's canon or not, definitely read that. And also, favorite character. My favorite character of all time is Obi-Wan Kenobi. I feel like <laughs> anyone who knows me immediately knows that about myself. What about you? I would say for myself, it's more of an era-based thing. I think for the the prequel trilogy, I really love Anakin and his growth. Even though everyone hates the cringy dialogue, I think if you take out the romantic subplot, that Anakin is a really strong character that gets that only gets better with watching Clone Wars. Going into the original trilogy, I know everyone loves Luke, but to me, I've always been a Han fan, which is why I'm kind of excited to start this book that we haven't even mentioned yet. Um, but going into the sequel trilogy, from the Force Awakens standpoint, I really liked Finn. I liked his character. I liked that he always tried. Going to The Last Jedi, that kind of muddled it up a bit, but we'll get into that more on this Friday's lore podcast where we just talk about our opinions on each trilogy in and of itself. And then in subsequent weeks, we will break down what we do and don't like from each movie. Yeah. Uh, for this book club episode, we're going to be talking about Last Shot, which follows Han and Lando primarily. And they're looking for a mysterious transmitter created by a villain called Bison Gore. And uh, it is told in both flashbacks and present moments of the New Republic era. Which was something I kind of was against as reading Thrawn Alliances. Sometimes when you flash back a lot, you can end up stagnating the story and not letting it get to the point. And I feel like it almost takes away your interest because you'll be getting into a certain storyline and then you jump back in time and get a little bit more background information and then jump back ahead and you're always trying to remember different characters and species because in star wars they always throw a right. lot at you in a novel <laughs> there's so much so last shot was written by daniel jose older or old there i'm not i'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. it either i like old there but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i looked it up and currently it has a rating of 3.37 on goodreads which is kind of on the lower end of an acceptable novel so we'll have to see from what we've got so far i can definitely see why it's not sitting at that good of reviews there's some there's some really good aspects of it that I like the character design and how the way he portrays different characters and they really match what their original portrayal was in the original trilogy. But then there's other sections that seem to be filler and don't really fit the characters to me or don't really add to the story a lot. We're going to get into that more in depth as we go through. I'd like to uh, talk about the prologue first and then we'll get some thoughts on the book and how it starts out. We'll go through a couple chapters, take a break to talk about overall writing style and themes, and then we'll go in to the next chunk of chapters. Sounds um, good. So I had one question for you on 
what your thoughts were going into reading this book? Like, what did you know about it before you cracked it open? Well, honestly, I had pegged it to be a book that was taking place around the time of Solo because it came out around the time of Solo and we're just so late to the party on this book. <laughs> but I honestly thought that it was younger Han and, and Lando after the events of Solo. So realizing that Ben Solo was involved in this scene was kind of shocking to me and I kind of liked it. And there's some aspects of it that I feel like lead into where you find Han and Leia in The Force Awakens, which I kind of liked. It gives you a little bit more backstory in that area. Yeah, I feel like we were definitely, when we got The Force Awakens, we were lacking all of that content in the yep. middle. It was kind of confusing. So this is nice. So let's jump right into the story, starting with the prologue. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts, anything that you noticed from there. Well, I really liked that they brought back, back Cloud City because that's one of the OG locations. And it's just, it was always one of the coolest because it's a city in the clouds. And that's always something that people like dream of is is cities that are just in different ways and it really felt like star wars because other places have different things but star wars cloud city to me just feels like that's the right, first time yeah. luke takes a hard defeat so i like that one a lot plus empire is just such a great movie it's kind of so, nostalgic them dropping you right back into cloud yeah city like that. and i really thought that when when his company was called calrissian enterprises i thought that was totally lando and i thought that that just fit him <laughs> and his they had i feel like the nuances of lando in that sequence were pretty good and I was wondering that they're, if they were setting up a romance between Lando and Kasha, but then like two two pages later, they're just already banging. So there was not <laughs> right. really a lot of build up. They were yeah, just kind of there. Like came in and I was like, oh, hello, Kasha, who are you? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, hopefully she's going to stick around because yeah. I like her. Yeah, I also, I, uh, depending on how it develops, I wasn't the biggest fan of something affecting DRX7 software, which I feel like they're going to go into more and more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they've already started setting up in the last chapter of, this section that we're reading today. What about you? What were your thoughts? So I have I have page numbers since I'm a huge like lit nerd and I like to talk about books a lot. So uh, the first thing that I had written down, which is like super nitpicky, but is on page three and it talks about uh, maybe Kasha's leku. It says her two leku wrapped around in a dazzling swirl above her head, and to me that seemed kind of weird because I've never seen a Twi'lek with their Leku wrapped up in any sort of yeah. way. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was one of the students yeah, of Kasha's. Yeah, maybe that was one of the students. But I, I, I didn't pay attention to that section. I kind of just brushed over it. Because to me, it's yeah. always seemed like they were like prehensile appendages. For the rest <laughs> of us, let's get an explanation of that. <laughs> okay, so some animals have a tail that can kind of grab on a thing. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was looking into, like, Wikipedia entries, it seemed like that's how they described the Leku that come off the Twi'leks' heads. So, to me, taking that and wrapping it as you would with normal hair didn't seem normal to me. But, I mean, it also kind of seems, like, uh, reminiscent of cultures we have here on Earth where they that you do certain things to kind of distort your own body shape, like, yep. like neck rings or, like, foot bindings. So... It could be, like, an interesting cultural thing. But also, I thought that starting it off with the point of view of a droid versus, like, a human character is always really interesting. Very Star Wars, I feel like. Because yeah. when you jump into That disappointed a me world, a little bit, though, because he just... I thought they were going to build him up to be an important character in the oh, story. And then <laughs> yeah, he's just kind true. of gone after a little bit. And it's like... Yeah. What happened? Like... But it... Yeah, it, it just reminded me of C-3PO and R2 and, like... How the Definitely. whole adventure starts off with them. 
my my main question my main question was is kasha going to stay with us because i love her and who the hell is this mysterious attacker and how did they hack into the droid like that and make them want to kill because yeah I, I think we both had that question going forward into the book yeah because i was like well, I guess that's a looking into later chapters. It it is a really good way to start us off, like with the question: How is someone able to hack into them like that? Because everybody in the Star Wars universe is surrounded by droids, so if something is able to hack into them, that's a serious issue. Which is a sentiment that Lando later reciprocates. He he feels the <laughs> yeah. same way. Yeah. Okay. So hopping right into chapter one, we get Han's perspective. Mm-hmm. I really thought, so at one point in time, he says to Mon Mothma, when she greets him as General Solo, he says, I'm not a general anymore. And I feel like that's just, I feel like this book is slowly starting to sow the story of Han being at war with the life he's currently living, where mm-hmm. he no longer enjoy, he was, he was, he was enjoying his life with Leia when they were war captains and they were in war and battle. And that just is what Han wants in life. And then now that he's settled down and has a child, he's realizing, I don't know what I want. I'm not a general anymore, and I'm not happy. It's really what I feel like this book is coming to terms with, is Han's not happy living at home being a father. And he wants to be, because there's multiple points throughout the book where he's fighting with it internally, and he wants to be a better father for Ben and a better husband to Leia, but he just can't be. Which, later on in the chapters, I think Leia does some stuff that is nice towards Han that we can get into more then. Mm -hmm. Additionally, I loved Han saying no to Mon Mothma's unsolicited advice, and she was taken (laughs) aback by it. Yeah. So I thought that was always great because everybody seems to respect her and he was just, he gives no fluffs. Yeah. He doesn't says, really care. He says at one point, your mothfulness. And I was like. I didn't like that though, because I feel like he always had playful banter with Leia in the original trilogy and that was him flirting with her. So them taking something that he did so often and turning it into that was almost like in Solo where he said, where Beckett says, I hate you. And Han says, I know. So it takes away from the emphasis of, I love you. I know in the original trilogy, which to me is always a fine line oh. of if he says this too often it's overused but that he should i feel like it should be a leia specific thing was my opinion on it. i so did when, like the line but when you were viewing the original trilogy you you thought it was a specific because he only leia did it towards thing. leia he he had like he didn't he never referred to luke that way he only it was like his banter with leia so it's like his banter, like, so if you had done that with Sana later in the book or other romantic interests, I could see that. But the fact that it was done with someone that's just a, a captain above him, or I forget her title right now, but I felt like it was always one of his ways of flirting. And it, it to me, it seemed off using that towards Mon Mothma. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> it was. I, I agreed. I, that's what I, I that was my original it. reaction. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I was a little conflicted. Wait. In this chapter, we get another... Uh... A moment where they start talking about respect for droids. Because mm-hmm. Han says something disrespectful about one of Yeah, he's talking rushed with the like coffee droid. Yeah, and Mon Mothma's all like, whoa, man, <laughs> you gotta watch out. These things are sentient. And he's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> and I'm like, are we really going into droid rights again? I feel like yeah. every time we get anything related to the solo movie content, it always has droid rights in it. But and at least I- Han's consistent, like he doesn't care about the droid. Well, to me, this is something that you wouldn't know about because you haven't read this book, but in Most Wanted, which is about teenage Han Mm -hmm. uh, back on Corellia, he actually, like, makes friends with this droid, and this is going to be spoilers, but, like, some bad stuff happens, but 
Um, Let's cut the spoilers. We can get to it later <laughs> on a most wanted Han, run through. Han and the Stroid have a really good relationship, and I feel like having done that, he wouldn't be disrespectful of Droids. But I think if you look through it, like, for, for when he was on Corellia, he was also very hopeful, and he was a young Han, and he was very optimistic. He leaves That's Corellia, true. expects to come back for Kira, basically gets betrayed, she turns on him, and then Beckett turns on him, so... I feel like you have to look at the difference between where he was then and where he is now. And because even though he's seen the force through Luke, he still probably believes a better, a good blaster is better than your hokey religion. So I feel yeah. like that's just Han's characterization. And I think it's consistent. I, I, I would be more upset if they went back in time now and made him care for more things, almost like Chewbacca with the Porgs, how Chewbacca in the original trilogy oh, yeah. is just eating up the Minoc and killing them at ease, and then in the Porgs, you make a sad face at him, and all of a sudden, Chewie doesn't want to That's eat true. them. So, so then at that point, I I agree with the way Han reacted to Mon Mothma, because he's like, I feel this way toward every being, not yeah. destroyed. <laughs> and I felt like Mon Mothma was just kind of being a dick, like he had just woken up, and he, he, he didn't really yeah. do anything, he was just short with the droid. Because yeah. the droid had a personality, which I did mention that he was like Lando or someone else had to give him the personality. And after seeing Solo, you know Lando give, gave the droid the personality <laughs> it had. It's yeah. just, it had Lando written all over it. Yeah. Um, another thing I liked was that he stepped on a, a styrofoam, styroform candy blocks, which was just like human stepping on Lego. Lego. So was, was you could just like, completely Lego envision dude. what that felt like and how terrible that would be. The author has definitely at some point stepped on a Lego. Yeah, yeah, and hates it, but don't we all? <laughs> Another thing I liked was the calf beans. Is basically they have coffee, and then it was like, I feel like you could make a brand of coffee called calf beans, and the slogan would be right from the book, picked from the cliff mountains of the Campbellan Mountain re- <laughs> yes. Range on the southeastern peninsula of the Forest Moon by well-compensated, humanly-treated Ewok calf farmers. Like, come on. I feel like that's a direct roast at how... Like, you go to the store, and they're like, this is humanely treated, or this and that. Yeah, and yeah. the coffee beans are just... Ethically sourced Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think that's crazy. I, I like that little jab. Him, uh, BX, is the kitchen droid. Him and all of his coffee bean ranting just reminded Definitely me. Definitely want a BX droid. <laughs> it reminded me of Codsworth from Fallout 4. And just yeah. Like over the top he was. Definitely. I also thought, so another thing of leading into Han... In the Force Awakens, where him and Leia are separated, was Han talking with Leia and talking about how every night she would come back and rant about the diplomatic meeting she went to and how he was just dreaming of being a smuggler again. And I feel like I feel like this book—that's the one thing I really do like about this book—is showing you how Han got to where he ended up in the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a really good fine line, especially later in the book where he's trying to sneak his bag out and she has it prepared, so she knows that he's like a uh, a wayward soul and wants to always keep moving. So she's not really impeding it, so, like, you can just see how he ends up in that yeah, position. Yeah, they're very different people, and I feel like we, when we saw them at the end of the original trilogy, you know, we saw them together, and, like, finally working together as a couple, mm-hmm. and then when we see them in The Force Awakens, they're, like, so split off. We're like, what could have possibly happened? Yeah, because the, the original trilogy makes it seem like they're such a good team, but they're also yeah, in wartime, so everyone all, changes yeah. during that time. And they're also very different people in general, so I can see why it is in the book why they're writing it this way it makes perfect sense to me and also just it was very overwhelming like in that first chapter like people are coming in and out and Mm -hmm. like leia comes in she's like put on a shirt and he's like man i haven't even had time yeah and she was kicking him out of the room to have a better hollow projector but then she had already kicked him out of the bedroom the night before and he was sleeping basically on the couch with ben so it feels like she's also just prioritizing being a general in the 
the resi- the resistance now. I guess the New Republic is what it was, and they destroyed it all in The Force Awakens. But <laughs> yeah. she's prioritizing being a general, and Han's like sitting there alone with the child, sleeping in another room. And then in the morning, he doesn't even have peace. He just comes in and gets kicked out with nothing. Yeah, it seemed very very busy and kind of like oh shoo shoo go hang out with the child yep i completely agree and i was one thing i was wishing i wish they, they could have at least mentioned luke because i feel like he would be a part of the new republic i don't i don't know what luke's been up oh, to my in between, God, yeah but like they didn't even mention what luke had been up to at this point like he, no, he would be around luke at all yeah which He's i felt was a little weird chapters. because they're supposed to be friends <laughs> and leia's his sister so you think at some point in time they could at least name drop luke Where's through 12 chapters luke? yeah <laughs> Oh, I have, okay, so moving into chapter two, mm-hmm. we're still on Chandrilla, and uh, by the way, Chandrilla, like, have we seen Chandrilla? No, I did a Google search to try and find a picture, and it was a couple, like, pixelated images from an old game, I think, or we, something. We can talk about overall things, because that's one of my overall, like, nitpicky things yeah. in the book, but going into chapter Actually, two. Actually, a lot of that, though, there's a lot of characters and a lot of species that I've looked for to try mm-hmm. and get an idea of what they are, and they'll be like, you'll go to the Wikipedia page, and it'll be like, first appearance, last shot, and that's all they have. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, if I'm trying to get a visual representation while I'm reading to get an understanding of what's happening, like, the one creature they talked about later on was that, like, frog thing with six arms that was a defender of Maz, Kanata's castle, and Takodana. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked up, I tried to find a picture, because they're like, he's a good guitarist but he's also a bodyguard and i wanted to find an image of what he was and so i could picture that while reading and i couldn't find any so it was kind of a little annoying on that aspect like there needs to be a a mix of adding new characters and using existing species so you can have a sense of what the world is so chapter two i had highlighted uh, on page 21 she rolled her eyes and clinked glasses with lando and i just i love the image of camaraderie between leia and lando as they're talking mm-hmm. and the fact that leia's drinking whiskey to deal with the security council i feel like yeah <laughs> but i definitely think i feel like this should have been i don't feel like whiskey and alcohol was used enough in the original trilogy for them to be using it so much now i think it definitely should have been there i feel like that's the one problem between like mainline movies is they try and avoid these kind of things yeah and even like even like Lando coming out of the room with the girl in a towel, like you know what that symbolizes, but the movies will stray so far away from that it doesn't even seem normal. Mm-hmm. Even though he is complimenting so many people, I did like that when when Lando was speaking to Han, they made sure it was H A A N, so he's saying Han. So you know that when Lando <laughs> yeah, is talking, he is saying it towards Man. Han like he would in the original trilogy. <laughs> I also was like, they said the shadow figure was a droid, which I think later they go into more details that it might be a human transformed into a droid, like Grievous. But at this point, I was asking, like, how can a droid just hack another droid by looking at him? Because that's all that happened in that first chapter. And the more we get details, I think the more my opinion changes on this a little bit. But in that first part, I'm like, the droid looked at him and then all of a sudden reprogrammed him, which to me seems a little weird because that's not something, like, that would have been so useful in the Clone Wars if you could just find a way to reprogram droids. You'd just win the war immediately. Yeah, I know. So, and then Han's past always coming back to bite him is such a typical Han thing. Like, you see that in The Force Awakens. Yeah. So. Everything he does. He he never closes any chapter of his life. Yep. They're all just <laughs> left open. He's like, bye. And at this point in time, I really liked the way that Han and Lando's mannerisms were written. As we go forward, there's a couple of chapters that focus on Lando's past that I feel like don't add a lot to the story. At least not enough to be known now. Like, the, the chapter with L3 just coming and grabbing him to the Falcon. Right. Like, that's just thrown in there. And then you just cut back to the current storyline. So to me, that's part of where this book is just, that adds extra information about Lando flirting with some Prita, some Imperial leader. But like, to me, that doesn't add as much, but maybe it will in a bit. But that's also one of my problems with the multiple, the way the chapters are formed, how they go back in time so much is like, now we've had 
three different time jumps backwards and then like later they'll fill the pieces together but sometimes i like a coherent storyline uh i had one last point for this chapter just uh, highlighted uncle wanwo i have the same highlight at the <laughs> end of mine and i was like 10 points for toddler ben escaping yeah. the bath to come say it to lando <laughs> but lando is not your uncle your uncle's name is luke and where is he oh but you know how like friends i know friends do that but i definitely agree that luke should be it mentioned was in cute it. but i'm like ben real where's your real uncle I, yeah i miss him <laughs> yeah i feel like luke definitely should be around and visiting at some points in time i feel like i mean maybe they'll fill that in later in canon or maybe they have in the comics or other books that we haven't gotten to but for now it just seems like he's missing in action mm-hmm. but moving into chapter three i really did like the mention of hosnian prime which is the new republic's main world later in the force awakens but that also made me wish that they didn't just blow it up with the the knockoff death star that just takes out 10 solar systems at one or 10 planets at once and i wish that they would have left more background in that for the new trilogy i feel like in that first force awakens they knock out so much stuff they destroy star killer base they destroy the the new republic and they just it just feels like they added so much new stuff that it causes intrigue and then they wiped it all out in the same movie which to me as the first movie in a trilogy you don't want well, it feels like they were missing some sort of impact when we didn't get to meet the New Republic planets before they were wiped out. Yeah, so it's like but, we don't even care. But there isn't too much of a reason to care other than obviously like millions of people that are on the planet at the time dying. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is that in the New Republic, the like uh, housing of the Senate moves to a different world every so often. Yeah, I feel like that's a little weird too, because you like the, the time it would take to build the infrastructure and change stuff is just quite a bit. So I feel like it'd be really inefficient to every time someone else gets elected that they change the the home world of the new republic. And I guess that's so they protect against the the first order or like just the Death Star attack on Alderaan. But at that point, if you look at the at the Force Awakens, there's no other backup base to the the New Republic. So that obviously doesn't help at all. It was just there's some extra detail to give information now yeah it seemed weird and then another thing i want to go into is that it just seems like the timeline of this is getting kind of messed up so the last shot books wait 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 wait. what we don't have to go into the timeline they mentioned it here they the three-year gap with santa stars we can go into that at the end fine continuing save your intricate timeline for later okay sounds good (laughs) we're doing chapter notes right now my question was how is a solution to a hangover to drop acid (laughs) and then how then he comes out of the acid Right? right when it's needed like Seemed like a whole weird scene with Sana. It, it seemed interesting to me because we don't really get a whole lot of drug use in Star Wars. Yeah. Obviously, because it's kid-based mm-hmm. primarily. Um, so that was weird, but realistic to me because they have spice. And I feel like spice is usually yeah. like a drug. But this was a different, weird thing we're seeing. It was interesting world-building that he did, just making stuff up like that. I also noticed um, on page 28... The author uses the word scooch, and I felt like that's such... I wasn't expecting to find that in a sci-fi book, but I was like, man, I use that word. Like, I didn't yeah, know... it somebody, really got to you. It hit home. Yeah, I was like, I know how to spell scooch now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't notice that it was there, and I still don't know how to spell scooch. But I really liked that Chewie cocked his head at Sana when she called him, this is my Wookiee, and he was like... Because that's something he always does in the original trilogy. When he doesn't understand, he's just standing there yeah. looking sideways, kind of, at Han. Like so I a thought dog that was, tilting yeah, his head. Yeah, definitely. Him. And I felt like that was a good impersonation of, of of Chewie. I don't know why I just blanked on that name. 
And then I was wondering, Sonic kept pressing him about a girl, and then Maz does later, and I'm just really hoping that they tie that back into it being Kira. Yeah. Because I feel like, especially now that Solo didn't do well financially, they might we might not get as much of that story. So mm-hmm. as long as we could get an end piece to that and tie other stories in afterwards, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I was definitely wondering if he was trying to forget about Kira. Yeah. This whole thing. I was like, oh. Because that, that's when we go into the timeline later, it seems like it would be around the right time for mm-hmm. her to press. So I only have two things for chapter four. <laughs> My first wondering is about Lando's feelings for Kasha. I was like wondering why Lando feels wrong for not being sleazy. Yeah. And I was wondering on that. So they, they announced that he'll be coming back in episode nine. And I'm wondering if the reason he wasn't in seven and eight is because he actually settled down with her and maybe he'll come back with a child that can be <gasps> one of the main protagonists. I oh thought that God. was a really cool idea that I just... Really right, because we know the Twi'leks and the humans can have hybrid children. Okay, so moving into chapter five. Uh, <laughs> this is more about Han and his fathering techniques. I just felt bad in this chapter for Han because mm-hmm. he feels like he's being an inadequate father. Yep. But doesn't every parent, when they have their first child, feel like they're not going to do it right? Definitely. But I feel like, what one note I made was that I feel like it shows why Han ended up dropping off Ben to Luke, which is how, that, and then Ben feels like, oh, he just wanted to pawn me off to Luke, but maybe Han just felt like he wasn't doing a good enough job. Yeah. And he felt, and then at one point in time in this chapter, he worries. He was like, I used to worry about Leia, but she proved to me that she was, she was capable and, and able to protect herself. And then he's mm-hmm. starting to worry about Ben, which would just lead to more evidence of why he would want him to be trained to be a jedi so he'd be strong and protect he could protect himself yes so i felt like they did a lot of that weaving in this chapter which is just that's one thing about this book that i really like is i feel like they're really setting up the force awakens and han and leia and ben all pretty well and then i didn't like that she mentioned that him not having a good a good model of fatherhood to me it seemed a little unnecessary and kind of a dig and in this book leia almost seems like she's taking a lot of digs at Han, even though he perceives them as Leia just being Leia and she'll always say it the nice way. But mm-hmm. some of the way she says things just, just rubbed me the wrong way when reading it. Yeah. I was like, okay, so he didn't have any good role model for fatherhood, but I don't feel like that's where the center of his issues come from. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he seems just more anxious about... And it seemed like he was just doing what he grew up with. Like, he grew up on the run. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, he didn't have a... Figuring things out. Yeah. So he gives his son a, a, a play blaster. What's wrong with that? Oh, it might stun him, man. You can't oh, have... violence. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like that's expected. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're a smuggler and that's the type of people you are. Like, he even grew up in a wartime, so, like... Yeah. I, I feel like, that like was it reasonable. was kind of just uh, Han and Leia being uh, kind of on different pages with how they wanted to parent Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Kind of seems overprotective, like, oh, I know all about caring for this child. Don't give him things that'll encourage violence. And he's like, wait, let the kid mess around and have fun. Yeah. I really liked how they showed Han starting to drift back to his old ways, but how he was debating it. Like, he was like, I know I shouldn't leave, because I know I know Leia and Ben need me here at home, but I know I'm not doing a good job, And but Lando needs my help, and I may have caused this problem. But then Leia actually supporting him and having his bad pack, bag packed for him, and telling him to go and do it because that's what that's that's basically what Han needed. That's who Han is. He always he's always there for help. Because even in the fourth movie, when they're doing the Death Star attack, like he says, "I'm not going to be yeah, there. I'm just he here for the money." In. And he swoops in for help. So it's always something that Han has done. He's always there to help his friends, even though he wants to portray him like he's he's suave and always out for himself. But he really isn't. He's a mm-hmm. soft person on the inside. And I really liked that she was there supporting him with that. Right. I had the same thing. I had in all caps, Leia, my queen. 
Mm-hmm. She just knows. <laughs> I also made a note that she was like, make sure you come back alive to me. And I was like, she should have done that. She should have said that to him in The Force Awakens instead of telling him to go on a suicide <gasps> mission. Oh my god. <laughs> he didn't come back, you guys. Anyway. Okay, last chapter before we go into some questions about overall uh, book feelings. Mm-hmm. Chapter 6. We get throwback to Lando 15 years ago. think so. Not 100% sure. Along, this is flashback Lando. And it starts out with uh, Lando describing himself like men usually describe female characters in yep. books. Definitely. <laughs> the insinuation of Tight an Tight enough ass. for a bulge and an insinuation of an ass. Like, like come on. <laughs> it's amazing, though. And what I had written down here was that he's describing his outfit in such an amazing way. And it reminds me of that terrible fanfic called My Immortal. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Caleb, no. but it, yeah, I think she's like a vampire character. She's always talking about what she's dressed in, like my raven <laughs> hair, and like it was, it, Lando was doing the same. Definitely feels thing. like something Lando would do, though, because he always seems like, even like when you look at Solo, he has that room, the one storage cabinet just full of, not storage cabinet, but the closet's just full of capes. All capes. Yes. And it's just, that's so Lando. Yeah. It really threw you into his self-centered mindset yeah. at that time. Did you read about Carambola? He was the owner of the place where Lando was hanging out in this chapter. Vaguely, yeah. They mentioned him. So, I didn't know what this species was, the Crolute. Mm-hmm. It's the same species as Uncarplut from Jakku. Okay. And apparently, they're aquatic and only male. So the reason they look all bulgy and saggy is because they're used to being underwater. So then when they come above water, that everything just droops. Which I thought was an interesting detail, and I didn't know anything about the species beforehand. But apparently the females are a separate species called the Gillians, mm-hmm. and there's actually one in the new uh, Star Wars Resistance show. She's the, like, bartender. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've seen... Both. Which is a whole nother topic, because Star Wars Resistance so far has been a little disappointing. <laughs> Keep that topic. Well, you're, you're bringing up fan fiction in here, and I can't even bring up how Resistance <laughs> has been a little disappointing. But, like, that's a we double standard. We can make episodes about that. We can. can. hear that. Okay, well, I have one more thing. And it was just uh, L3, talking to L3, and how she says, and you know how serious droid rights yeah they bring that me, back up even if it's just a joke to you and i it, like clearly lando and l3 haven't had a conversation about how he really feels about this because mm-hmm. lando's a jokey dude and on a normal day he's not gonna have these deep conversations but she's just like thinking he doesn't care at all because she's a strong independent woman but plus party. he also makes droids so yeah so he kind of like like he he cares about their personality Definitely. obviously so what i was saying i really liked i like his line when it was, what makes you think i wasn't going to give gratif- gratification as well when yeah. l3 says he was he he was only with that girl with prita because he thought he was going to get gratification but he turns it back and he's like yeah. what what says i'm not going to give gratification as well i thought that was totally a lando thing lando's not a scumbag but this <laughs> this kind of segues into my timeline discussion that i would like to mention in the middle of the book so last shot apparently takes place a, a year after the battle of jakku which that takes place approximately two years after Return of the Jedi. And then the, the original trilogy about four years long. So A New Hope takes place one, two, three, four, five, six years before Last Shot does. And then the timeline seems a little bit off. So where Last Shot takes place. So A New Hope is the Battle of Yavin, which is where everything is based off of. So Solo apparently takes place between 13 and 10 years before the Battle of Yavin. So if you go back from, from Last Shot book, it says that this story with Lando takes place 15 years prior to Last Shot, 
where we're at currently at Chandelara. What's the planet? Chandrilla. Chandrilla. So if you go back 15 years, that would technically have it end. This this Lando section would technically be a year after Solo ends, but at that time L3 is just is has been destroyed. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe the time for Solo start and end is a little bit off, and the New Hope's a little bit off. But it, even because like, because L3 dies in the middle of that that movie, yeah. so you'd think this story would have to take place before that, in my opinion. So it just the timeline seems a little bit off, and I've been trying to keep mental notes, but not everything is laid out perfectly, so could be taking place before solo and my timeline's a little bit off but that's one thing that i've been trying to get a judge of when doing this is when things take place like han first meets sana a four year, three years prior to new hope which seems a little soon i believe from seeing on reddit through a star wars thing that he actually marries her and she's sana solo at some point so that means from three years prior to a new hope he is married to her and at some point in time they're gonna have to fall apart she's gonna have to die something's gonna have to happen so, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen a screenshot of that of her walking off the Millennium Falcon when Leia's around and calling herself Sana Solo. So that just seems like I a really they short were married span. Out of convenience, they did they say that, but that probably gives more details in that comic, which we'll get to later in one of our comic podcasts. But I feel like Han's timeline is very muddy right now, and they really should have done a better job of saying when things happen mm-hmm. and making sure that they don't overlap. Because from my point of view, it looks like they do overlap. I wanted to know your opinion on the overall writing style of the book, because to me, it seems uh, not very descriptive at all. And I feel like a lot of times I'm not sure what's happening around the characters. I would definitely agree. I think, especially with Lando, because he's a character that we don't have as much basis on from the original trilogy, whereas I feel like Han's written really well, where I can see, oh, this builds off of what he did here and how he's going to end up here. So to me, that's a really, they write Han really well, but Lando to me, a lot of his scenes, I feel like they could go into more details because we know less about Lando. And I feel like the writing style does, like there's a lot of times where I'll go look up on Google and be like, what's this place or what's that? Because I don't quite remember because like with Star Wars, it's a huge universe and they make new aliens daily in shows and stuff like that. And they introduce things. So I may know because I remember when reading Thrawn the novel i always forgot who orinda price was and then i'd watched rebels all along and they just never really called her by her name so looking that up i would have liked a little like that one there was something i should have known but i feel like in this book there's nothing like that like a lot of like again as earlier i was looking it up and a lot of these species were new a lot of these planets were new so i can't really there's not enough details to know what's going on and i can't look up auxiliary details that help me fill in the gaps that aren't being provided so i would agree with that point it's definitely the author trying to world build and fill in things. You know, if you're thinking about what would happen in a scene on Earth, you have, like, birds chirping in the mm-hmm. background. And so uh, the author will create a random gibberish word to kind of describe that yeah. without really saying it. And I feel like sometimes that's fine. But since he's, uh, like, cherry-picking things from the entire universe as far as species and And we're jumping around planets a lot yeah everything is thrown in and i feel like i constantly have to google what's happening and they use a lot of they have a lot of alien speaking and alien lingo which if you see that in a show or uh one of the movies they always like another character always retranslate it retranslates it or there's some kind of uh description of the body language that yeah but with this book it's like He'll half translate what the people were saying, so I kind of feel in the yeah. dark in those moments, especially without being able to look at the or body. Or just language. hear their response. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that's where I want more description. They do have a lot of uh, great conversations written mm-hmm. in the story so far, 
But to me, it seems like I'm almost reading a movie script instead of reading a book because it's very, like, quick lines back and forth between the characters and not a whole lot of what everything looks like. Definitely agree on that point. And you talked about how you enjoyed the characterization of Han and and more than Lando. Mm -hmm. I just feel like Lando needs more details because there's not as much content on him, Mm -hmm. which is not really a knock. They write Lando similar to how they write Han, but Han just has more mannerisms that he does throughout the the books and the movies We're and the stuff i've read yes exactly audience. which is kind of upsetting like they bring lando in in empire and then he's a little bit he's in a short portion of return and then he's been absent the rest of this or the sequel trilogy which like why can't he have been involved or like been on the screen a couple times like i feel like they're just now the shoehorning him into episode nine right. just because of the poor reception of episode eight and seven in some places so Another thing that I noticed about the author's writing style was that it seemed a lot more casual than other sci-fi novels that I've read, including ones from uh, Star Wars canon, uh, like Catalyst, which was a Rogue One prequel. Mm -hmm. I haven't Uh, read that one yet. James Luceno has written several books for the new canon, and his are pretty much the exact opposite of this book, uh, Last Shot. Because it's so full of descriptions and details about movement and surroundings. And it reads slower than this, definitely. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, it, they're two extremes. And I feel like I want something more in the middle. This this book, Last Shot, is very casual. And that makes it accessible to people who wouldn't normally read sci-fi. But but I also feel like the way it's written, it's it doesn't feel like as much of a young adult book. Like, cause they, they're using like the, the description of Lando where he's like insinuating his ass and like talking about how he looks and stuff like that. No, it's it seems, definitely an adult but book. It, but it, it's like, it's, it's almost like it's written like a young adult book with a couple extra like PG 13 or above details <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to make it not young adult. And mm-hmm. I feel like it definitely could use more info. Yeah. I feel like we're lacking a little bit there. Chapter seven. Any notes that you have on that? I really wanted a BX droid to make me fancy co- cu- cuisine. 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 Cuisine is how you should say it. But I just thought it was awesome that he knew a ton of, what did he say? He knew 15,000 dishes. Like, oh I need that God, in my life. Right? I also didn't like that they're putting, they, they're, it's a Han and Lando book, but they're basically taking Han and Lando out of being a pilot or taking the Millennium Falcon, which seemed like a big portion of, of what people love about Han and Lando. And they're having to go hire this extra pilot to take them places, which... I know if you want to be undercover, that makes sense, but couldn't they just, like, they're saying they don't want to buy a ship because it would be, it's only one job, but, like, it can't hurt to have an extra ship here or there. You're rich as fuck. You're the leaders yeah. of the rebellion or the resistance at this point, New, New Republic. I just felt like that was all right. But I did like the Lando and Kasha romance scenes or, like, yes. how they were talking at the table and she called him Maserine or My Sweet. Oh, yeah. I thought that was, that was so super cute. cute. <laughs> He loves her so much, even though he's, like, not willing to admit it yet. And then they go more in-depth of how we might see them together in the in the in Episode 9, which they haven't titled yet, unfortunately. But Lando's wanting something more serious with Kasha, and he's, like, pushing towards that. And I really like that, because always, Lando always seems to be trying to be a player and be suave and try and get everybody. But at this point in time, he's like, wow, I kind of actually want this person. I might settle down, which is just something you don't always see with characters that are played this way. They always... People always write them the same way forever i had more about lando always hitting on leia he still does it every <laughs> time he's around leia he tries and hits on her yeah 
And then Han, there's more examples of Han failing to be a dad even over time. So it's not like it was just a one-time thing in the book. I like that they're reiterating on that and they're hitting on it again to show that he's struggling with it over and over and he thinks about it daily. And I said Lando's having feelings, definitely in love. Like the way he was acting was definitely like, oh, well, yeah, we're definitely more than uh, uh, nothing. So I like that a lot. <laughs> he's like, what are we? And she's like, what do you mean, what are we? Yeah. Like, stop dancing around the subject. Moving into chapter eight. This is where I really started to notice how connected this book is to the Aftermath series. Mm-hmm. Have there's... you read those? No, I haven't read them. So I'm kind of lost. They're like bringing in these people like Condor, Kyle, and Sinjir. And I'm like, who yeah. are these people? I had to ask you about those characters. I remember that, yeah. Right, yeah. I the one thing, they mentioned the defense fleet here and saying it was always like they were rotating around the system and they were like, there was always sentries watching and stuff like that. But where was any of this during The Force Awakens? Like, just because you blow up the system doesn't mean, the, why would you, one, dock your whole fleet on one system and not have it spread out across the galaxy, which know. then leads into The Last Jedi about how no one's there to help. And I know they, they mention in one of the Poe comics that Black Squadron's busy and that's why they couldn't come and help at the end. But like, that can't be the only new republic sympathizers because everybody hated the empire and everybody secretly wanted to get under the out of the grasp of the empire but didn't have the strength so then when the rebellion comes in and destroys that i feel like there would be more people to help and i feel like you definitely wouldn't keep your fleet in one location that was just my opinion on that <laughs> right and i didn't like how they mentioned it like it's they have this defense fleet but we never see it anywhere else kind of feels yeah hit or miss defense fleet. also uh just a note for a uh, slicing ewok <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so weird because it's only been a couple years since Endor, the Battle of Endor, and in that time, like, it it is known that the Ewoks are quick learners and everything, but they were kind of hanging out on Endor with Stone Age level tech. And see, yeah, it'd be like six years after, or not even six years after, like four years, three years after. Yeah, that's what I said. Three years. Since Which I mean, you you can't say that all of them would be. Not all the Ewoks probably were on Endor. Do you think there were Ewoks in other places? Potentially. I mean, there was definitely space travel to Endor at times. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's definitely got to be a spread across the galaxy. Maybe an Ewok escaped. It was just, to me, I was like, whoa, they caught up real fast. Why aren't we all, why aren't all the humans just killed by the Ewoks since they're catching up so quickly? Yeah. And then I was like, I really liked Han's line of, tell me how you really feel, furball. (laughs) I thought that was funny. And then... I also had the question, which they answer later in this chapter, of where is Chewie at present day of this book? And I felt like he would still be around Han, and they answer later in the chapter that he's he's away on Kashyyyk helping rebuild and reform, like, the Wookiees, I guess, their civilization. But to me, like, I felt like Han and him were always, like, Bonnie and Clyde, they are always together. Obviously, they're not romantically involved like Bonnie and Clyde, but I just felt like they were always a pairing that should be together. If you have yeah. a Han book, Chewie should be there. But... That is what it is. It's maybe they just want to give Han uh, Han a different perspective when he's not always around Chewie. Mm-hmm. So maybe that there's that. I said, did Pepka, which was the Ewok splicer, have a thing for Chewie? And I was like, she can get in line with Maz, which is something <laughs> they flash back to Takodana where mm-hmm. Chewie's there, but they don't mention anything about Maz and her flirting with that Chewie. That was a missed opportunity. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that leads into chapter nine, which is a Han flashback. Mm-hmm. And the one question I had for this is, does anyone actually know what went down between the Trandoshans and the Wookiees? Because they hate each other. I looked other. this up, 
And so it would make sense for the Wookiees to hate the Transdotians because they're often killing them. The Wookiees could hate the Transdotians because... So the Transdotians often put the Wookiees in slavery and would enslave them and stuff. But that gives a reason for the Wookiees to hate the Transdotians. But no reason for the Transdotians to hate the Wookiees because they almost use them as labor. The way they do use them as slave labor and they, they would kill them and use their pelts as fur because they're cold-blooded. So it felt like there were reasons for the Wookiees to hate the Transdotians but not the other way. Yeah. So I definitely agree that that was something that needs a little bit more detail. I feel like the flashbacks here are so short and left with more questions. All the chapters time. are. That's why this feels like a young adult book. Like the chapters feel like they're six pages of a short snippet of this time period. And then we're jumping around time periods and we never get a, a full understanding of what's going on in this yeah. specific time period, which is kind of frustrating. And it's something that also frustrated me in Thrawn Alliances. It's like, I just want, they would always cut off when you're just getting to a good part of the story and you're building momentum in that story. And then they switch off and then the next one has to get up to speed. Right. And I really hoped Maz would join the adventure with Sana, but it didn't seem like she would. And then, wait, who are you calling little? Seemed like a classic <laughs> yes. online. Brought back blue milk. What about the green milk, though? The green milk. <laughs> the um, sirens. Another mention was, this is what I mentioned earlier. I said I'd love to see the Frompraths. I think is how it's pronounced. Which mm -hmm. This is the species in the book, which was playing the song. And then they were the bodyguard and some other form of Star Wars media. Like I feel like that'd be a good thing to include in one of the shows. Because they just seemed like a cool species, and I, I couldn't find out what they looked like, and the description wasn't the greatest. So, again, descriptions. <laughs> more of them. If you're gonna make up sentient beings, I want to know more about what they look like. Definitely. So with the Transdotion thing, I did like Chewie slowing down, wanting to go back and fight, because that's always something that Chewie does. He always seems to take the aggressor, like position. Like when he gets shot in the Force Awakens, he doesn't want to not fly. He wants to be in the cockpit, let him oh, in. Oh yeah. Like, so I did like that embodiment of Chewie. I liked his personality there. Mm -hmm. Good characterization for Chewie. Definitely. Okay. I didn't know you had so many notes. I had, like, none for that <laughs> chapter. <laughs> okay. Um, in chapter 10. Pod racing champion. Oh, I love that they mentioned <laughs> pod racing. I was like, yes, pod racing is still a thing in this world. Definitely. And uh, they mentioned uh, Lando was gambling with some people. And Han is talking to him afterward. And he says, losing on purpose is one of the hardest things to do, quiet as it's kept. And I was like, is this going to come up later? Is someone going to have to lose on purpose? Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> I also like they did a throwback when Han put the helmet on. He's like, I don't like helmets ever since Mimban, which I, which I wondered. And I looked it up and it was, that's the planet in Solo where he's a mud trooper. Yeah. So I really liked that at that point, he was like, I don't like helmets anymore. Get them off me. So I really like that, and so that's when he met Chewie as well, so it's just a little Easter egg that I feel like not everyone's going to recognize, but it's cool to have in the book. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I like, it seems like the author did a lot of research for this book. Also, they mentioned, like, this is a ship from the Old Republic, the Corellian Freighter, like, Eleven, yeah. which was weird to me because the Old Republic's actually referring to the Republic of the Clone Wars era, which just is not ever really referred to as the Old Republic. That ain't the Old Republic to me. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> And then the, the, the when they met that, why did they follow the guy with the green cloak thinking he was going to be the same robot? Like, they had the blasters drawn. Like, oh, wow, he had a green cloak? Like, who... Like, that? the universe is so big. Like, following someone just because they have a green cloak seems like a very thin thread. But later they show... The guy had, the like, the pieces of metal mm -hmm. that were, like, the droid parts with the bone yeah. combined together that were supposedly the Force. They were embedded in the living Force. And I feel like that might be tying into what happens to later with the... But then they mentioned the original dozen slash original master. And I'm almost wondering is later his droid in chapter 12 calls him master. 
and I'm wondering if he becomes the master and like because that's a flashback to Utapau yeah. 20 years ago so I'm like maybe they're starting to set up some inklings and maybe this guy really does work for him and because I feel like they're almost setting up for I feel like he saves Gesto and he becomes like Grievous I really like that setup I really hope he they save Gesto I think yeah. Gresto Gresto maybe yeah Who's that guy? <laughs> uh, the friend of Faison. <laughs> no, I know who he oh. is. I'm just like, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know his name. But I feel like they almost set him up like to have a grievous arc of where he's like human, but he gets put in the droid body. Yeah, because they don't mention him dying later yep. on. Yep, yep. But then that also goes back to the inconsistency in Star Wars and, and blaster shots because some clones um, die instantly in a blaster yeah. shot to their to their lower body and then other ones survive. So Star Wars inconsistencies always happen to benefit the plot. In a galaxy far, far away, maybe your organs aren't in the same place. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You're right. <laughs> um... Oh, I had a note here about Han and how he said he wanted to shake up the standard rebel train protocol mavens and get some new blood in the system when he was talking about the pilots' union. And yeah. I was like, yes, Han, you do that. Definitely. Diversity. Pilots from all over. Because, you know, he always wanted to be a pilot when he was younger and he, like, people wouldn't give him a chance. And I feel like he's trying to give people like him the chance, yeah, to get out of their lives. I definitely was, I thought it was interesting that someone was impersonating Han, but they were like, Super close to where, like, the the New Republic was set up. So I felt like that would be, like, you'd want to set up farther than where you could actually run into the actual Han Solo. <laughs> right, right. Which is weird. And then I thought the Taco Jamorsi already had more intrigue to me than Kazuto Ziono from Resistance had in five to six episodes since we stopped watching it. Oh, yeah. But, like, he, he just seemed there. like that could have been what Kaz's character could have been, like, but instead, they just made Kaz out to be an idiot because he's on a kids' TV show, and they just ruined. Oh, I can't wait to get into that on on another board podcast <laughs> one day. But you like Taka here? I did. I, d- I did like his like his cockiness. It almost reminded me of a young Han. It almost feels like someone Han would like try and mentor. They hinted at Leia having Force visions, and I said that would be much better than Space Mary Poppins. <laughs> and Space Mary Poppins. But I feel like that would have been something that that would have been good to show Leia having like force ability without ever being trained to be a jedi was mm-hmm. her having force visions and different things because the force doesn't always like anakin would get force visions in his dreams and stuff like that right so as her as as his daughter it would make sense that maybe she was yeah. getting that so i really i wish they would have built upon that more and maybe used that in the sequel trilogy mm. instead of what they ended up doing for her force powers which they're saying can just manifest at any point in time without training which is kind of similar to how they did ray which is another topic for another day <laughs> but they do mention Leia having some uh, subconscious feeling of the Force in the book by Claudia Gray, Princess yeah. Leia. Which seems to be a, a very, a thing that's very, uh, it's often there in book media, but then like the movies just kind of discredit yeah. it. Well, it's not, it's not Princess Leia, it's Leia, Princess Alderaan. Okay. God. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Um, but then also like. At the, they were looking for a pilot so that they didn't know their identities and they were wearing helmets and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, they're, then Leia is with Han and a speeder going to the same pilot. And the pilot recognizes Leia. And then they call Lando by his name and call Kasha by their name. And they, he's working with Lando's droid. So it seems like a jump from, we don't want anybody to know who we are, to, hey, we're, everyone knows who we are now. I think it was just so that they wouldn't have unsolicited people, like, contact with people when they were looking for someone to be their new pilot. But once you But you feel like they would have gone, like, they just picked this pilot as, like, for no reason. Like, you feel like they would go on, like, a test trip with him before just... That's true. I don't know. I feel like, and I don't feel like you'd want to immediately give out your identity of who you are. Not very smart for either of them to do that. 
Moving into chapter 12, I'll do the segue this time, but I feel like it was really weird. They were like dissecting a live Geonosian. And like they could see <laughs> a system. Cool. I thought it was cool, but like that's just weird. Like we don't dissect live animals, do we? Like not to my knowledge. Like we always dissect like frogs that have been um, killed and like. Well, I mean, when you're a medical student, you do sit in on surgeries where the people are still alive. Surgeries, but you're not dissecting it just to show it how its body well, works. The Geonosians are just being, aren't they like dead and controlled by the worms? No, that was just a story in Clone Wars where they had died and were being controlled by worms. Because maybe the Geonosians like were not originally. You know. <laughs> no, dude, I don't believe that. One okay, day. so it's weird because they're dissecting something while it's alive, but it was still really cool that they were bringing up like the medical side. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because we've but, only but, seen medical but droids really. At the same time, it almost feels like it's not needed because medical droids exist. They've never shown a need in Star Wars for to have a human surgeon. Like, anytime Ooh, Luke has gotten point. his hand chopped off or Vader's being transformed, there's never a human involved. So then why are we bringing in medical students? It almost feels shoehorned into Star Wars. Like, this guy's the best uh, medical student in this class. And, oh, wow, why does that matter? Because every time we've seen anyone injured in Star Wars, even at even like when Luke's in the back to tank or Finn's in his tank in, in Episode Eight. Right. Or Anakin's hurt and being turned into Vader. There was never any humans involved. Mm-hmm. So at that point, are humans even valuable as surgeons? And that's where I just felt di- disconnect from the Star Wars I grew up knowing. It just doesn't feel like there's ever... Like, there, there's some, like, clones would have, like, medical troopers there for, like, temporarily yeah. fixes. And, like, trying to keep them healthy on the battlefield or get them back to a medical droid. But they're always going back to a medical droid. I guess in The, in the Force Awakens, when Chewie gets shot, he does get tended to by a, a woman. Yeah. She's putting bandages on him, but that at that point, I think that's because he's just needed to be bandaged. I don't know. Maybe they do. They are needed, but I feel like at Star Wars, they've not really broadcast an opinion. So on it's that. kind of like I'm on one side where I'm like, "This is cool. We've never seen this before," and you're like, "I don't know if we really need this." Yeah, because <laughs> it's never been used before, which isn't to yeah. say it's not needed, but it just feels kind of unnecessary to me. It felt like something that was. Uh, brought in maybe because of the author's background because he used to be a paramedic oh definitely then and that's see that's just where the authors often bring in too much stuff about their personal life into a universe to make themselves feel included it's kind of how ryan johnson brought in uh rose and was like she's a nerd like every day you and me but like star wars has always been about a fantasy of people that we could aspire to be Mm. and then he brings in a nerd like himself and it kind of breaks the storyline and it breaks logical sense to me in star wars to have Rose as a character, which we'll get into more in The Last Jedi. I know it sounds from this podcast that I really hate it. I do like aspects of it. I, don't, I dislike a bit of it as well. So we'll get into that more on a lore, pod, a lore podcast. But I just feel like I don't like when people bring in characters to try and feel like themselves. Because I feel like we're living in a fantasy world and a long, long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. That's the trouble when you're writing sci-fi fantasy. You, you have to make sure that you're not throwing in stuff that takes you out of the universe that yeah. you're supposed to be in. I also liked... So they were talking about the droid... Earlier they were talking about how the droid smelled weird, which I think would be a hint at that there's a human on the inside and they're just being kept alive by the droid parts. Yeah. And then Gristo gets shot and he's like, he's not dead yet. And they keep emphasizing that he's not dead yet and to bring the parts of the... What was it? What was the speech? The Utai. They bring the parts of him so he can be helped because we might need them. So I definitely feel like Gristo is the one, the droid that hacked drx7 in the beginning Ooh. i feel like they're building up for that because this is the first time at the end of part one they give you a little insight into the main villain's backstory 
Caleb is really good at calling things before they happen. And I'm just going to tell you right here that I'm not, and I clearly did not pick up on these little things well, happening. That doesn't necessarily mean it will happen. It's just what my current <laughs> inkling of the story is going. Yeah, I was just like, wow, Utapau. And then I started thinking about the Utapau arc that never happened. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah! <laughs> but yeah, I thought. This... I also thought. Oh, continue. Yeah, go ahead. This chapter specifically mentioned a lot of species that all lived on Utapau, and I was like, who the hell are these people? Yeah, but I feel like this chapter is one of the better written chapters. Yes, it I... had more description. Yeah. I was like, and, but are, I also was wondering things? why the gangsters who were kidnapping Gristo and Faison did not strap in when they decided to run the roadblock. Yeah. They're like, oh my god, we're gonna run the roadblock, but let's not strap in our seatbelt so we can probably <laughs> die. It's like what the 1970s when people didn't wear their seatbelts all the time yeah but i can understand not wearing your seatbelt at all the time but when you when you make the decision and you tell your pilot to ram the roadblock i feel like you gotta put that buckle yeah you gotta do something something. to like protect yourself instead of just being an idiot like because obviously you don't have to wear your seatbelt at all times like that is what it is but when you're specifically trying to ram somebody the idea is to not die by flinging out of your seat yeah obviously they don't have airbags here (laughs) even if they did they're in a large like hovercraft i assumed yeah spaceship type thing they did yeah um so that's oh i had one more thing about Faison because Faison says that he's not gonna go home anymore and yeah. i felt like why i think at this point he's killed a lot of people and he's trying to save gristo and if he goes home he won't make it i don't know i, I it does it does seem a little it seemed like all of a sudden a switch flipped in his brain he was like i'm a gangster now cause and I this is the point in time where i think that that the original master mentioned later might be him because the, the the droid just out of nowhere calls him master and then they're stealing the parts to help Gristo and then it's like might all start because i don't think there's any point in showing that gambling scene earlier in the book without it being tied in later because mm. otherwise it's just worthless information a little bit of world building but i felt like unnecessary world building when they could have built more around the space center they were in looking for pilots so i definitely think something's going to come out of that later what that Faison is the master the original master with, from which the parts came from yeah, definitely. Something like I that. I mean, Faison yeah. was the person who was searching for the... He was the one that was asking for the special, mysterious transmitter back from Lando and attacked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like Faison's definitely... But so they say Faison attacked him, but I really feel like... they. I don't think Faison attacked him. Someone attacked him and said, Faison wants this transmitter. Right, that's what I meant. Yeah. So, which is why I think the person that attacking is Gristo. That's... Yeah. I think and the more you talk about it, the more I'm just like, yep, that's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that makes sense. And then going into next week, we're going to read the next chapter, the next, what the are they called? Part. The next part of the book. So we did that. This completed part one. And then next week, it should be part two. And then the subsequent week, we're combining four and five because they're short. Yes. So it'll be part one this week, part two next week, part three the following week, and then four and five are together because they're about the same length as the rest of the parts are that we're reading. Yes. So about 90 pages. But I hope you enjoyed this experience. Let us know any comments and feedback, what you saw in the book, whether you think our predictions of what's going to happen later are correct, and basically your un- what your overall opinion is of the writing style, the pace of the book, what you want to see, what you what you don't like, different things like that. Tweet it at us. Email it to us at theopencirclefleet at gmail. Send us your feedback however you want. Thank you so much for listening. We are The Open Circle Fleet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>